Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news, playthroughs, and reviews. Today, we're doing a podcast. What's up, Mike? Hey, how you doing, Peter? So after however many episodes, I've changed the intro because we're both streaming live on our One Stop Co-op Shop stream and on the podcast. So because of that, I had to make a compromise there. Had to go one way or another. And I went the streamed way. I think I like that intro better. Whichever way you went, it was probably the wrong way. So, you know. (laughs) We're, we're, we're all poorer now for uh, for hearing it. I'm used to that. You speak nothing but the truth, Mike. Nothing but the <laughs> truth. Honestly, like, I started our intro like, hey, I'm Peter. I'm here with Mike. Just because I had nothing else to say back then. Now I got all kinds of stuff to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, how you doing, man? How's uh, your weekend been? It's been good. It's been good. So this is what we call birthday week in my family. My mom's birthday was Thursday. My wife's birthday is today. So this is Sunday, June 12th. My birthday is tomorrow, the 13th, and my daughter's is the 15th. So now you know all my bank passwords, and you know when to send us gifts. The good and the bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, how about uh, gaming? What you been up to? So we had a non-co-op gaming weekend. I played with Jerry last night, and we managed to play zero co-op games. It was all Euro games. We played Great Western Trail, and then we played two games of... The Gollum, what, not the new Gollum game, the... Um, Century, Century Spice Road? Yes, Gollum. And then what did we play before that? Lost Runes of Arnak. Oh, okay. Which has some uh, significance to our solo players. And actually, both Great Western Trail and Arnak can be played solo. And I know the Arnak solo rules are great. I haven't played Great Western Trail yet. Have you tried that one solo? No, the original release didn't have it. Right. I mean, there was like a fan-made one, but I didn't like the looks of it much. I do enjoy the competitive game. So yeah, I haven't tried the official one now that it's out yet. Well, I have the official one, so maybe you will borrow it and it will end up on the regular channel at some point in time. That could definitely happen. So how about you? Any exciting gaming stuff? So for those who don't know, I'm doing a play for the first time. I used to be an actor and I'm back to it a little bit (laughs) for like the first time in 11 years. So I've been trying to like crank through as many videos as possible because it's going to be tech week soon and I'll kind of lose my life for about three weeks. What have I been playing? A lot of crowdfunding games, Leviathan Wilds that is recorded. I think we did a we, we did a stream playthrough of that recently, didn't we, Peter? No, 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 never mind. No, we didn't do a stream of it. We uh, I think Steve did a stream play. I played it at your house, so we didn't actually film that. But yeah, that one I really enjoy. I've been playing this one called Snapship Tactics that's coming to crowdfunding soon. Snapship is actually a toy line that I bought for my kids before, like not knowing they were going to do a game of it. The solo, and I think the whole game, is designed by the person who did the fan-made X-Wing solo co-op campaign, Peter, that I think you've played. Yes, I did play the X-Wing solo campaign. It was it was a lot for me. You know me. I, I, it, well, so, so I'll, I'll say right now, this one is clearly has like some similar like DNA going into it, but uh, the solo in this game is easy-peasy. <laughs> like, oh, that's good. It's, it's smart, and it's really quick to run. So yeah, I'll have a video of that soon. But in terms of playing with my family, I borrowed So Clover from you, Peter. So I've been playing that a good bit. I think we're going to do a review of that sometime soon. That'll probably be Uh, our next one, if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, for those who don't know, that's a cooperative, sort of like deductive word game. 
Kind of like code names meets just one a little bit, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that description is apt at all. <laughs> the just one and part then, is definitely apt. I don't know about the code names part. I have to. We'll, we'll have to think about it. We'll, we'll think on that one more before yeah, we review it. Yeah, you know, I just threw it out there, and that's all what happened. Um, <laughs> and yes, yeah, and paint the roses with my uh, kids. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's been a lot busier. So except for what I'm recording, I haven't gotten as much time to kind of play things for pleasure. But it's all right. I'm looking forward to more once the play is done. Yeah. So Brian asks, break a leg, Mike, what play? It's Midsummer Night's Dream. And I'm playing uh, one of the four lover characters. So I have a lot of lines, (laughs) for better or worse. My lines, my lines. What are my lines? (laughs) <laughs> that was like By the way, a- did we ever say what we're reviewing, Peter? I, I just realized we I kind of messed up the intro. <laughs> uh, That's all right. We're, we're, well, what are we reviewing? We're reviewing Vagrant Song, <laughs> recent boss battler. We've both been playing Vagrant Song and talking about leveling up. No. Yeah, yes. leveling up. That's what we decided on. Leveling up in campaign games. So. <laughs> you can tell how much preparation went into our design discussion. So uh, I, I had to look at my notes preps. And, and, and Mike forgot. <laughs> so... <laughs> But that's uh, a- we thought deeply. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, if you guys be- knew how I'm much sorry, prep actually went into deciding what we're going to talk about for design discussion, we I think we had five texts today. I could probably read them in order, and it would take like 10 seconds. It was like, what are we doing? How about this? No, how about this? How about this? Okay, that sounds good. Done. <laughs> like, I mean, we, we've been doing this for how many years now? We, we, we know how each other work. We, we could get it done pretty easily. <laughs> Yes. I, I don't know it's any different than it has been for the last five years, though. I, I think first time out, we probably was uh, very similar. That's true. That's true. Before we get any further, because I, I feel like I'm going to forget, <laughs> I do want to thank some of our amazing Patreon supporters, uh, keeping the YouTube channels and the podcast running. And if you don't know, we've added a lot of cool rewards for being a Patreon member. You get double entries in contests. We're just actually, as of this recording, tomorrow I'm going to announce the winner I'm going to record it right after we're done uh, of the Castles of Burgundy deluxe set from uh, GameFound. And then uh, also you get exclusive videos, at least two of them every month. I just did, uh, very appropriate for the Vagrant Song uh, people, I just uh, ranked all of the boss battling games I've both played and the ones I've done previews for, eight different games. Is Vagrant Song on that list? Vagrant Song is on there. I consider it a boss battler. KDM, uh, Kingdom Death Monsters okay. on there. I actually put Adventure Tactics on there because I think of that as a boss battler oh, for with sure. a few random non-boss battler scenarios at no, the beginning. Just for the no, yes. <laughs> yeah, just, just the first two. Yes. Yeah, just the first two. two. It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's super right. weird. <laughs> yep. Just want to thank a few specific patrons today. Uh, Andrew Bray, Frank Galafaro, Cajun Kong, Colin Borgstrom, and Alexandra Snowek. Uh, sorry for any mispronunciations there. Uh, thank you to all of our amazing patrons. Again, uh, you're letting us do what we're doing. So we really appreciate your help. Absolutely. All right. So do we want to talk about Vagrant Song now? Let's do it. You want to hit up the mechanics or the theme? I can do theme real quick. You are on a train and there are lots of ghosts on there. You actually just wake up and you're on a train. You just remember some like white gloved person pulling you on the train. You wake up with a bunch of strangers who are also there. Similar to KDM, I guess, a little bit where you just kind of wake up in this strange land. And so you're fighting all these different bosses on the train. These different ghosts come out and you are trying to re-give them their humanity. So you're not necessarily defeating them as much as you are bringing them back to the good side, to the light side of the force. Or helping them uh, find the light, right? To go on to the next something. <laughs> well, yes, it could it could be that as well. I I, I don't I don't know if I've uh, quite figured out which way we're going on this one, but we're helping them one way or another. We're helping them. 
And uh, for those who haven't seen the game, uh, the art style is very similar to uh, the video game Cuphead, which is also an animated series now, and Townsfolk Tussle that we've uh, covered in the past, which is also a boss battler. It's kind of maybe unfortunate that these two boss battlers have such similar art styles, but it's a uh, like old timey cartoon mixed with like violence and graphic stuff. So it's very uh, <laughs> unique kind of art style there. I think it's pretty cartoony uh, though. I don't. I don't think it's that violent. I guess some of the yes, ghosts. I think. So some of the ghosts are kind of freaky. I think Townsfolk Tussle leaned into the violence more, and Cuphead certainly gets very disturbing with, like, devil imagery and all that kind of stuff. This one is probably the tamest of the three that I mentioned. But, yeah, for the actual mechanics, you're always on the exact same train board. It's, like, three train cars with uh, squares. So you're moving between the squares. Pretty much all movement is orthogonal. And each player takes a turn. On your turn, you generally have three cubes, which correspond to sort of, like, three actions you can take. You can put them on generic actions like moving and searching and that kind of stuff. Or you also have unique cards you can use for your characters and non-unique cards that you can level up into. And you can put coins on those. And the thing is that you can take three individual actions or for most things, you can put multiple coins on something to boost that one action. So you could like, for example, spend all three of your coins to do some really walloping like special attack or whatever. But that's how your turn runs, kind of uh, spending those coins to move and attack. Uh, you also like run around the train trying to get to these events that might help you discover things or find new items or uh, defeat the haints, uh, kind of like haunts <laughs> the uh, the ghost bosses. And then after each player turn, you reach into this bag, which has these tokens. Uh, you can also get those tokens as little like helpful items for yourselves. But you draw one of them and each boss will have five different possible activations they'll do, one for each of the five tokens. It'll generally uh, say they move towards something and then do some kind of attack. That's the most common thing that happens. And all the players are trying to work together to, as Peter said, like save these ghosts. Your attacks restore their humanity. And each time you restore enough humanity, you reach what's called a break point. Something big happens usually. And then you like tick down a counter. And whenever you break them the final time, then you have saved them. And it is a campaign. It's fairly linear. We'll talk about that some in the review. And it's about uh, 20 scenarios long. And you get like a little in-between kind of rest thing. Sometimes you get to make choices, you get a little bit of narrative in there, and you get to upgrade or heal and that kind of stuff. So that's sort of the basics of how the game plays. So for those of you who haven't joined us before, welcome. And what we do here is we do a top five list where we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important, and going all the way to number one, which we view as the most important. Now, obviously, all five are important, though, or we wouldn't be listing them. So I will go ahead and get us started. And I said, easy to set up, easy to get into. You could change characters between campaigns. It's just, I mean, this is the theme of this game for me is it's pretty straightforward to do stuff. But let's start with easy setup. Yes, I did put like three things in here because I couldn't limit my list. So, but but basically easy is the um, theme of number operative five. Operative word? Yeah, the operative okay. word. Oh, look at you, Mike. <laughs> That's what There's I thought so- you were going to say, but then I, I, I overestimated. <laughs> yes, no, you definitely overestimated on that one. But I like it. I like it. I, I'm just going to dub that right in and nobody's going to know any different on the uh, podcast. It'll be awesome. (laughs) Only the live people will hear this. (laughs) Yep. So uh, it is easy to set up. Let's let's start with that. I played a lot of games down Gloomhaven, all these other things where you're putting 50 things on the board. Here, you're really just putting three or four pieces of terrain down, maybe up to six. You're putting some of these event tokens down, and then you're putting your characters down. And that's basically it. You set up for your characters very easy. You get a couple skills, maybe a piece of junk. You kind of keep all that stuff together from game to game. And then one of the other things that makes it easy to access and get into is that 
you can actually add players into the campaign between games. You're not stuck. It's not as linear as something like Journeys in Middle Earth, where once you start with two players, you're stuck with two players the whole time. You can add players. You can remove players. You can even change characters between missions as well. And again, getting back to the theme of easy, it's easy to do that as well. You're really just going to change out your character and your basic skills that that character comes with and grab a new one with their basic skills. So it's pretty easy to get into and out of. Yeah, that wasn't on my list, but especially the character changing, I really appreciate because anytime a campaign game starts to sometimes feel repetitive to me or this campaign is too long, I appreciate when they slot things kind of in and out. Clearly, Gloomhaven had that with the retirement of characters. Another one that doesn't have it as an official rule, but both Colin and I play it this way is Dice Throne Adventures. Uh, The same characters kind of grow in a similar way each time, so it's very easy to kind of slot out one character and slot in another one. So yeah, this is another one where I think with 20 scenarios (laughs) and fighting the bosses each time, uh, some people might enjoy the possibility of like playing one character for five scenarios then switching it out and trying out new special abilities for another five scenarios. So yes, totally agree with you. That's a great one. My number five is focused on the campaign structure. And there's some pluses and minuses here for me. First of all, in a personal sense, 20 plus scenarios is too long for me, at least these days. Like, I used to play things like Gloomhaven and get through that many. But even like Jaws of a Lion, I felt was a much better length of a campaign. Yeah, 20 is pushing it very high. And I don't necessarily know if there's enough variety to make the 20 feel like it's like staying alive that whole time and staying fresh that whole time. And by the way, just uh, quickly, Brian Skolik asks, is it true solar or do you play two-handed? It is at least two-handed, Brian. And Colin did a playthrough of the first scenario on the channel, if you want to check that out later. But yeah, so it's a little bit of a long campaign. I do think that it has uh, some freshness in how things work. I do like the in-between like narrative stuff. I think the story, as such as it is, it's very light. This is not a game where you're reading a like, ton of paragraphs and pages. But I think like kind of the theme and the ambiance the campaign creates is really good. And they have like some branching, but it's not like really branching. Minor spoilers, so you know, stop listening for 10 seconds if you want to. But um, basically, there are like three legs of the campaign, and you do all three of them, but you choose the order you do them. So if you play it again, you're going to see basically the exact same scenarios again. There's not really any variance. You just might see them in other uh, order. Now, (laughs) that plays into something I'm going to really complain about later, but uh, the campaign in and of itself, I think, is mostly good with some negatives. Yep. My number four is there is lots of luck, and so far from what I've seen, not a lot of mitigation. Now, I don't know mm. if that changes later on, but basically... Not that I saw. <laughs> yeah, but basically, you're rolling dice, and you need a 3+, plus or a 4+, plus or sometimes even a 6+, plus, and you roll the dice, and you get what you get, and you don't get upset, Mike. <laughs> and then there is also draw. So, and it's usually based on the number of these coins that you put on the action. So, if I put two coins on the action, I'm going to get to roll two dice. Now, that's not true for every action. Some of them you put one coin on and you get to roll two dice and maybe it lowers your target number. So, for every token or every, yes, they are tokens, but they're also supposed to be coins. You put on that action, you're going to reduce the to hit number. So, maybe you only need, like if you have one coin on, you need a five plus. You have two coins on, you need a four plus, whatever. Uh, So, it could change things that way. So, I guess you could call that mitigation, but not really. After I roll the dice after I pick what I'm going to do I just kind of roll and and whatever happens happens and it almost is a little worse than that because you have to select all your actions before you do anything Mm -hmm. so if I want to search for something 
and then move away. I have to decide how many dice I want to search with ahead of time. A lot of times, if you want to not guarantee it, but I have a pretty good shot, I'll roll two dice and then I'll do a move action. Well, if you fail on those two, now your move action is also wasted because you don't really want to move away from that thing you were searching for. Or maybe you do because you get so frustrated. But yeah, so you're making these choices and then you're doing the action. So it's not like you can say, all right, I'm going to search, roll a dice. Okay, I failed. I'm going to search again, roll another dice. No, you have to pick all that stuff up front. So the luck is even more nasty that way. The other place where there's luck is you're drawing these tokens out of the bag. When you're searching for tokens, all of them Mm. are useful, but some of them are more immediately useful for what you need right then and there. So when you search and scavenge to get stuff, you just draw tokens out of a bag. It's very easy action. And when the AI activates, they draw tokens out of a bag as well, and they do whatever's on that token. And they have two different forms, and so it'll determine based on their form and the token they draw, which activation they do, which is kind of a neat system, but it's also pretty, I, I don't know, it's it's very luck-driven. I do like it for the AI more than I like it for us, though. Yeah, and I'm going to get into all of that with some of my points later, So, but I'll say I agree with you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my number four is uh, what we're talking about in our design discussion, which is the leveling up. And again, pluses and minuses, although I lean a little more negative on this one. I mean, the positive way, I like the unique cards. So for uh, each of the characters starts with some skill cards that they can place their coins on and do special powers and things. And then uh, after each scenario, you get the possibility to pay for some. And these are more like generic ones. So any character might get them. And it's kind of fun. I think you get like a little like sort of thematic description of the skills. You're not quite sure what you're buying until you actually buy it. Like it kind of might imply that it's based on movement, but you don't know what the actual skill does. I think it's kind of fun. And then each of the characters also has a bunch of unique skills that they only get chances to unlock at very specific times during the campaign. But those tend to be more powerful, more in line with the character, more like combo oriented. So I think all of that is neat. The big negative, and this ties right into the campaign structure, I totally understand why they did it, and I totally think it was a bad choice, is (laughs) that uh, (laughs) you've only got four slots for skills and one slot for items with a few characters changing that up based on their powers. Once you've filled those, which also each of those uh, skills doubles as like your life, because when you take a certain amount of damage, you have to flip a skill over and it uh, becomes unavailable to you. So once you've filled all of those, all you're doing is getting other skills as options that you might choose to bring into a given scenario because you can like switch which ones you're bringing into the scenario. But in my experience, except for like the character specific ones, they weren't that much better. So within like the first four or five scenarios, you've leveled up kind of to max level and then everything else is like unlocking new options which is not the worst thing in the world. And some people might really enjoy that. But for me, I'm a level up junkie. I like campaign games and video games and board games. If I'm going to play a campaign game, I want to get stronger and stronger and cooler and cooler tools. And the game totally drops the ball on that. Now, uh, real quick, the reason I think they do this, because like I said, you have different orders you face the bosses, but you're going to face all the same bosses. So when they designed these bosses, they didn't know if a boss was going to be the fourth one you faced or the 10th one you faced or the 15th one you faced. So it makes sense that they wanted to keep the characters at sort of an even level so that the game would never be way too hard or way too easy. But that means that you're at the same level for 20 scenarios. Yeah. Not <laughs> not yeah, my no. favorite way to do leveling. And that'll play into our... I'll leave it there because we're going to do that in our design discussion. But yeah, I mean, this is almost a full-on con. I do like parts of the leveling, but I think the whole like structure of the leveling and how it plays into the campaign is just almost created to bore you once you play a bunch. 
And this didn't make my top five points, and I'm not really sure why, because honestly, you're right. This is the biggest con for me, and the thing that, if anything, is keeping me away from this game, it's this, is that it kind of feels samey pretty quickly. Like, I tend to want to use the same skills over and over, even of the four skills that I can bring into a scenario. Yes. I typically only use two. (laughs) Like, maybe three. Yeah, that's a big thing I forgot to mention. It's, It's not just that you aren't leveling up more, but you only have three coins. You know, like... I don't know, look at most games. Imperial Assault, to pull one out of my hat. You get more options to use your stamina, but you also get, like, ongoing bonuses. You also get, like, things that are permanent upgrades. You also get, like, weapons that deal more damage. You know, like, most games, I feel like, when you level up, it's not like you could do something else that's just as good as the thing you could already do. Right. <laughs> like, you get better, you know what I mean? Like, or or like worse. You know, or, or the same. I mean, the first couple you want to get because, as you pointed out, they're extra life. So those are the first ones that are always going to get destroyed as I, you know, take wounds or whatever. I'm going to just flip those things over. That might give me more flexibility in certain situations to maybe I'll heal instead of attacking this time. But yeah, no, they they weren't that interesting. The skill and leveling up weren't that interesting. And honestly, that's part of the reason I they didn't make my list is not that I found it to be a full on con. I just found it to be lackluster, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. Well, how about you, Peter? What's your number three? So my number three is the bindle. And I do find this very awesome. So the bindle is the bag of tokens that you're drawing from. And I've put it kind of in my last one as far as the luck goes, but I want to get into a little bit more. When you scavenge for something, you take things out of this bindle, and they could do things like doing damage to the enemy, or they could do things like preventing attacks against you, or they could. there's a candle you can put down that, you know, draws the haint, which is the bad guy, toward it if it's on the same car. So there's a lot of neat things you can do with these, but it's also cool that it's also the AI activation. I really like that. There's a lot of AI activation systems that we've seen. And none are as straightforward and as quick to resolve as this. The AI basically says, move this far, do this much damage, but they have five different options and some are more likely to happen than others, but they are all very simple. Movement and stuff in this game is very simple too. There's nothing that blocks movement for the enemy. They can even end up on the terrain and terrain is the only thing that blocks your movement. Now, if you move through the haint or if the haint moves through you, it does trigger something, either damage or some other effect that'll happen. But typically the AI activations are pretty straightforward. And I do like the fact that they also make the AI intelligent. It says you move to this place, but on your way, they try to move through as many things as possible to try to like make them all afraid. And they always say, make it the worst for the players. So I like it when they at least give you a direction for that and let you know where to go. So for me, I like the way the bindle goes. I think it's it's very unique, and uh, I, I like how it kind of serves two fronts. Now, it's a really good point. My number three is uh, pretty much your number four, the randomness. Uh, for me, it was a full-on con, and this is just uh, something, <laughs> just to get on my soapbox for a second. I mean, design whatever you want. This is my personal preference. I, I don't want to say soapbox. That makes it sound like it's like a right or a wrong but there are so many great like dungeon crawler and fighting and adventure games that have found ways to, even when you roll badly, something still happens. You know, looking at Alter Quest or Hour of Need or Street Masters, the Saddler Brother games, you get like tokens to give you more successes next time and more mitigation next time. Looking at something like Gloomhaven, you don't tend to miss entirely except for those very rare like critical misses. You know, you tend to do a little bit more or a little bit less damage, but you did some damage. Uh, or something like Imperial Assault or Descent. 
again, you tend to do a little bit more, a little bit less damage, but unless, you know, in the original or second edition descent, uh, unless you get like that one miss result, then you're going to do some damage. But yeah, in this game, like you only get three coins. Sometimes you spend all of them to a single attack and then like the attack hits on like four plus and you roll like one through three. It's not that unlikely to happen odds wise. So that frustrated me. <laughs> and then uh, something you mentioned, Peter, but I just want to kind of highlight even more. The bindle luck, not for the AI. I don't mind it for the bosses, just like you didn't mind it much for the bosses. But uh, specifically, a lot of the bosses will have specific tokens you need to overcome things. Like one boss very early on, like basically eats you. <laughs> yep. And your entire turn is wasted. All you can do is search through the bag for a specific token. And guess what if you don't find that token? Wasted turn. And most of the bosses have that kind of stuff where like some specific token will help you do something that you need to do. And yeah, it's just ultra frustrating if you're digging through this bag action after action when your actions are so limited and uh, you just don't get it. So yeah, I I found the randomness in the game to be not mitigatable and not uh, used in an interesting way. It felt very like old school and at least in a negative way for me. Yeah. No, I I, I, I mean, real quick. I just got to call it out because it's pretty funny. (laughs) Brian uh, Skolik said, I guess you could call this game Haint Misbehaven. Yes. Yeah. Haint Misbehaven. I know you like musicals, uh, Peter, so there you go. Yeah. No, I do like musicals. This Haint Your Mama's musical over here is what that is. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Puns. We, we, we are in the, the stratosphere of awesomeness right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, there ain't no mitigation in this game. That's where we are, really. <laughs> All right. All right. Number two. <laughs> yes. So our number, my number two, and actually this is probably my favorite thing. And if we steal anything, so kind of early game design discussion, if we were to steal anything from this game, I think it would be this. And this is the, my favorite innovation that came out of this game is the events, the way those work. Yeah. So they're literally tokens numbered zero through nine, and you're going to put them on various places. You're either going to place them on the board, and it's someplace you can go and search. Now, you can scavenge, like I said, for those tokens. We talked about that. For searching, you're going to have to roll a dice to see if you get a certain number of successes. That's, it almost reminds me of, like, Mansions of Madness, that kind of thing. Where you, yeah, yeah, for sure. Where, like, sometimes you even need more successes to get a better result to pick something up. So you could put these tokens, and again, they're just numbered 0 through 9 on the board. So it tells you where to put the 1, the 2, the 3, whatever. They also sometimes go on the tracks. So it could be... As the round marker moves along, then you get one of these tokens. The round marker is one through six. That's another innovation that's kind of interesting. But it then goes back to one again. So it's not like you only have six rounds in the game. It's just a round marker that's one through six. I guess six is the most events they'd ever put on it. Sometimes those events go away, though, and sometimes they'll stay there for round after round. That event will happen again. They might be when the enemy gets damaged and they lose one of their lives. or I, I forget what they're called, but... There might be an event token there that something happens when it goes there. They may even go in the bindle, in the bag, where you're drawing out of when you're doing these searches, which was frustrating because, again, one of my games, they never came out. Like, literally, I was searching more than I ever have. I was like, all right, I want to find these cool event tokens. I never found them. So, uh, again, coming back to the luck a little bit. But when you go to one of these places, they're just event entries in the book where you flip to that entry and it's like, you know, zero through nine or whatever. And it tells you, you know, you read a little story, something, something else might happen. And then you move on with the game. I thought it was genius, actually, the way, you know, they used them everywhere on the board, on the tracks, in the bindle. It was just really cool how that worked. And again, they were all very short passages as well. One of the other things I liked about this game. So it kept the game moving. 
Yeah, you know, I, I didn't give those their own spot specifically, but they're kind of in my number two, which is sort of the bosses and scenarios and the variety there. And I totally agree. I think the event system is really, really smart. I also like... Well, first of all, I like the, the two like kind of versions of the boss, how they switch between those and bosses switch through different means. And that'll change up the five like different activations they have. I like the way the bosses activate. I, I know you said it was a little bit random. I didn't find it too bad because you leave out the tokens that you get from the bindle and they have like printed right there, like an idea of which ones are more common and less common. So with that, I was able to kind of judge at least the chances of getting different things and sort of prepare for them sometimes, especially if like one of their skills was really nasty. So I liked all of that. The other thing I really like with the bosses, because this is a full-on pro for me, is the... What are they called, Peter? It's like the rituals? Is, are they called yes, rituals? the rituals. Yep, we never covered yeah. that. But that yes. was Yes, so, really so I'll describe them real quick. So rituals, uh, you get three per haint, three per boss. And again, there's like 20 bosses in the game. And the rituals are basically like little mini quests. They'll be like, oh, find the guy's hat. Or do this to him three times. Or move over to this area. Or deal with this event. And it gives you like fun little directions to do. And they usually give you really great bonuses, often like hitting the boss for a ton of damage or healing you all or getting you unique items to like bring into the next scenario. So I just thought they were really fun. Now, the one caveat with that is like the rest of the game being very linear, it can be fun to like try to do them again or do the ones you missed in your next playthrough, but they aren't going to change up. It's going to be the same like events. It's going to be the same mini quests. But that being put aside, I think, especially your first time playing each boss, like it's really cool, the combination of their unique activations. And some I should say some of the scenarios are not a boss fight. Some are like running from something or trying to like accomplish something. There's not too many of those, but they do vary things up there too. So I thought uh, for, you know, I've kind of complained about the 20 scenario campaign, but at least in terms of like how the bosses and their unique mechanics worked, I thought it was pretty cool. There was still some sameness in the gameplay, but I thought the actual scenarios kept things at least somewhat fresh. And it's quick, right? Like, that's the other yeah. part of it. There might be 20 scenarios, but they're 20, like, 30-minute scenarios with, like, 15 yeah. minutes of setup and, and teardown and, and AI in between. Well, yeah, and, and something to know, uh, mention, not too many spoilers here, but even if you, like, lose, quote-unquote, it kind of gives you a way to jump back in. So you don't have to have too much like repeating or stuff. I won't say more than that because it's kind of like narrative based. But well, the, the game is fairly forgiving in like letting you keep progressing. It's fail forward. There is a final yeah. loss condition, but you, it, give, it gives you multiple chances. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're going to keep failing forward. And, and I, I would even say that you could probably just keep failing forward even if you want to after you failed yeah the final time. <laughs> yeah I, I didn't get to the final loss but i kind of cheated afterwards and i was like oh that's what would have happened i would have ignored that i just kept going <laughs> well and it, and it works the other way too where if you're doing pretty well it automatically increases the difficulty with some other stuff as well so yes. if you're like succeeding at the maximum value each time you like get progress tokens and then the ai goes okay wait a minute let's make this a little bit harder on you and that increases as well so they do some yeah. neat things to mess with difficulty without you having to worry about that so i, I thought that was kind of neat too i totally agree but my number right, so one Peter, what's your number one thing this game is straightforward. So my number five was easy. The number number one is straightforward. So what I mean by this is on your turn, you get three actions. You literally just put your coins on something and you do exactly what it says. When you take wounds, you know, you just move your wound tracker down. If you take all the wounds, you literally flip over one of your skills or one of your items and then you go back to full health and you just keep playing. 
movement. You can move through things. It's not very complicated. Uh, again, if you move through the haint, there's some penalties for that, but literally anything else except for the train you can move through. Not very difficult. When you do the AI step, you draw a token out of the bindle. Literally tells you exactly what the AI does. It takes like two seconds and then you're done. Leveling up is easy. It's like, do you spend two coins to buy this skill? Okay, you put it in the spot. It don't, there's only two spots it can go in usually because there's a little arrow that tells you it can go on your right or left. So there's not nothing in this game. I, I think this is a game you could play with kids. I think it's a game you could play with people who've never played a game before. I don't think there's anything complicated about the game. So it's easy to get to the table and pretty straightforward while you're playing it. For better and for worse. To be fair, I don't think this is a a straight full-on con, or I mean a full-on pro. I think there's definitely some con to it as well, as we've discussed earlier, whereas sometimes it gets a little samey after a while. Yes, I mean, fully agree with that. I I did play this, uh, actually, my first campaign I played with my nine-year-old, and yeah, he he enjoyed it too. He had no trouble playing, so definitely. Uh, My number one is kind of related to that. It is the overall like turn structure. We've already talked about the actions, both a pro and a con (laughs) for this. Like you said, Peter, it's accessible, it's quick, it's easy to play. Turns are very fast, both for you and for the boss. So I do like that. The negative side for me of kind of like what you do in the game. Yes, your turns are fast, but they are often wasted. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot of turns where I just ran for my inter- entire turn. I've had a lot of turns where I like spent all my coins to do a, an attack and whiffed completely. We already talked about the luck mitigation. So that's a little bit of a bummer. And the other thing, I couldn't think of too many other boss battlers that did this, and I did not love it. The fact that the boss takes a turn after each of your turns. Yes, the boss turns are fast, but like playing, like when we played three player, for example, at your house, Peter, like taking a turn after each of the three players, especially if my entire turn was running or healing or whiffing on an attack. It's not my favorite in terms of downtime. You know, most of the other ones I can think of usually have the boss acting like after the entire team has gone and that's how it's balanced. And, you know, they chose to do it differently. That's fine. I guess it's more dynamic, but it also means like the boss kind of jumps around more and does things more. I, I hate to say it, but it really can get kind of like <laughs> I had some bad experiences like where my character would kind of be next to the boss and then the boss would get two or three more turns before I would go and I'd just get wailed upon. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then um, taking no, wounds isn't they, a big deal, though. Yeah, no, you're right. Take, taking wounds is a big deal. And they do have uh, one of the tiebreakers for who the boss uh, targets. Once they've wounded you, they'll tend to target somebody else, like even moving far away to get to them. So they did kind of prepare for that. So yeah, I mean, you're right. Taking wounds is not that big of a deal, but still just like having being forced to sit there after I miss my attack and get beaten up <laughs> three times in a row. It, it doesn't feel great, even if like mechanically, it's not like I've actually lost the game because of that or anything. Right. Uh, yeah, so final thoughts. I guess I'll jump in first. I, I didn't love this one. I was excited about it, like art style wise. I like boss battlers. The like kind of uh, theme seems good. I'm a big lover. I, I imagine the makers of this game were somewhat inspired by Final Fantasy VI. For anybody who's played Final Fantasy VI, there's a great sequence where uh, the wrestler and the swordsman and the ninja, if you found him, they all go on a haunted train. Uh, hit me up in the comments if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and the guy suplexes the train and you fight ghosts on the train. And like the whole ambiance of this game, like kind of reminded me of that. So I was excited to play it. And, you know, it's just okay. The campaign is longer than I personally prefer. The uh, randomness is a little bit too punishing. And the leveling up being such a flat plane instead of being exciting really didn't do it for me. But that being said, I think the core, like, mechanics of the events and the, like, little mini quests and how the bosses activate, I think all of that is very clever. I just think the game they chose to make with those mechanics is not uh, my bag, But if you're somebody who doesn't mind playing really long campaign games and doesn't mind 
a little bit more repetition if you like uh, so really anybody out there who plays really long dungeon crawler campaigns where it gets samey and you just love it and it's not a big deal and you don't mind the randomness the other stuff in this game is really cool so you might love it but for me it was a little bit of a meh yeah i i feel mostly the same way as you i, I do think there's some strong things that this game go- has going for it that none of the other games in this genre have right now mm-hmm. as much as i love adventure tactics I think this game gets the scenario, not necessarily design right, but like I always felt like I knew what was going on, at least yeah. as far as what the AI is trying to do or whatever. There might have been some minor questions, but like a lot of these boss battlers, the AI is so complicated and it's like, I have no idea what's going on. They may only activate once, but it takes me like 10 minutes to figure out what they're trying to do over there. So <laughs> I, I think this game gets that right. I think the des- scenario design was pretty good for the most part. Quick setup, everything else makes it plausible. I agree with you as far as gameplay goes. I was a little bit bored after even just a couple scenarios. I was like, all right, is this going to change at all? And spoiler alert, as far as I got, it didn't. <laughs> it, it does change eventually. It does change eventually, but not, not, not enough, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, so I was—I found myself doing this. I mean, it's a complaint we had about Descent as well, the latest Descent, which is like I felt like I was doing the same things over and over. Now, it wasn't always just running up and attacking. Some of my characters just ran around and picked stuff up. That was a different thing. Uh, but, but they kind of like tended to do the same things. Some characters would do certain things. My one character was always the one that was in the middle of the fight the entire time. He'd always activate first because mm-hmm. he got benefits for activating first. So, yeah, it was fine. It was like, I guess. No, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And, and it had some good stuff going for it. Like I said, that event system, I think, is genius. I, I really love that. But for me, all right. So for you, I'm guessing Primal and Osworn were probably at the top of your list. Uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> for, for boss battle? Oh, you haven't released it yet? or No, no. It, it's a Patreon exclusive. So may, oh. maybe those were high up on the list. <laughs> I mean, I'm 100% positive. I haven't watched your video, and I'll tell you for free. Mike's top two, Oathward and Primal. I don't know the order, but uh, and neither of those games have come out, by the way. Hey, Oathward's on the boat, dude. Oathward's on the boat. Oh, I hope so. Gosh, I'm so excited. No, it is. Like, like the, he sent, the, he sent like, the boat like tracking info and everything. I'm ready for it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, I've been excited about that game since it's come out. It was our game most anticipated last year and the year before. I hope it does not disappoint. But anyway, for me, this would definitely fall short of at least Oathward. To be honest, I only played that one once, and I played Primal a couple times. And for some reason, Oathward still sticks in my mind more than Primal does. But I know you like that one a lot. I do like Adventure Tactics better than this, even though, like I said, it has some problems with exactly what to do on AI activations or whatever. I'm not exactly sure I'm playing the game right always, which a lot of times bothers me. But the leveling in that game is so much better, like so much better. And what you're doing on your turn is so much more fun than in this game. I think they could, if they had taken the story elements and the AI activation from this game and did the leveling and the what you do on mm-hmm. your turn from that game, oh, that would be perfect in my mind. So note to both of them look at look at the other game and uh, and copy what they do better but for me adventure tactics is still substantially above this even with all its uh ai activation problems and and unclear scenario design and how about yeah, uh townsfolk tussle from what you remember i know it's been a little while since you townsfolk's tussle i got bored with that one pretty quick too i can't remember i'll have to look back at it i i remember what you're doing i remember you're going around to different things and you can interact with different terrain features. And and that that was a little much for me. 
not only did you have to worry about the boss, but there were also tons of different terrain. It's like, what does this one do again? What does that one do again? It just seemed like a lot of stuff going on in that one. I feel like that's the kind of game where if you played it 10 times, you'd really start to understand what every terrain piece did, and then you wouldn't have as much looking up. And that was a short campaign, right? It was it was a four-mission campaign, slash you could do it all in one night or whatever. I don't know. That one was just fine for me. I, I mean, it certainly wasn't up there with Adventure Tactics. Probably on the same level as this one, but with a little bit... It felt like there was a little bit more busy work. I mean, the nice part about this one is I could just get it to the table, and I promise you in like six months, a year, I'm going to remember how to play this one and be able yeah, to... Yeah. I could get it right back to the table. So it definitely has that going for yeah. it. And then KDM, I mean, KDM's its own thing. I'd much rather play KDM than this. Um, but again, still short of adventure tactics. There's a lot of luck in that one as well. I mean, I'd rather play KDM than this, partially because I think like what you do in KDM in between the fights is so interesting. You know what I mean? Exactly. And even when bad stuff happens there, it's entertaining. When bad stuff happens here, I, oh, just, yeah. I just don't care. Like, I just flip over a card, it's wounded, I go, okay, let's move on to the next. I mean, don't get me wrong, <laughs> there's definitely, like, the bosses are interesting, right? They, they yeah. do interesting things. And there's and the story is, is fine, it's interesting. But I just found, ironically, I found what the bosses did more interesting than what I did. Which, oh, absolutely. Well, and that's that's a big thing I talked about in my boss battler games. Like, how interesting is your turn? Right. KDM also has that problem, though. So a lot of turns in KDM are move next to thing, Roll die, maybe miss. <laughs> well, that's true. Touche. Touche. But I just feel like the stuff that happens when you don't miss or like when you hit these epic things, I don't know. I felt much more excited than when I hit something here and moved the yes, thing up yes. three and maybe I killed him for the second time and I had three well, more times Well, because in KDM, you hit the guy and then you reveal a trap card and he like eats your brain. <laughs> you right. I mean? Or you rip off one of his parts and maybe you get yes. some stuff and like... Absolutely. Yeah. So, so cool stuff happens in that game. Whereas, and again, that one's very random as well and pretty straightforward, although I'd say more going on. So a little bit more difficult to play. But yeah, I think this one suffers from the I don't necessarily have a fun time on my turn portion of that. Like the AI, I was much more interested in what they were doing because that was different every time. Me, I just walk up and and hit them with my best skill. skill Every time you can. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. By the way, uh, Brian asked, could this be the year Ostworn and Frosthaven deliver? I mean, Ostworn should definitely be this year, unless somehow the boats take six months. Uh, Frosthaven, I, I didn't back that one, Peter. Did you back Frosthaven? I no. think Jerry backed it, right? I don't think Jerry so backed I, it I, either. I have literally no idea. Oh, Jerry didn't back it either? We're not going to play it? How are we going to get a copy? I mean, I don't think we're playing it. Like, I, I've got a copy. I got two of them in here. It's called Gloomhaven, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. I'm good. <laughs> okay, yeah, we get one. <laughs> All right. Well, we should uh, jump into our design discussion. So we're going to talk about level up systems across like campaign games and stuff. So I think the two worst kind of level up systems for me to kind of start it off are like this one did where it's flat and you don't feel like you get any better. You don't feel like you get any stronger. Yep. Uh, this one is because you guess you get new options, but you always have the same number of actions. You always have the same number of resources. So you don't get to use those new options any more than you did in the past. And the other negative one for me, Dungeons and Dragons can have this a little bit. I'm trying to think of a board game that does it like this. But basically what I'm talking about is uh, where it's just better numbers. It's like, uh, I'm looking at like really old editions of Dungeons and Dragons. It's like, yay, my two hit went by up by plus one. But their Thaco or whatever, <laughs> their armor class went up by uh, or down by one as well. So it's just the same, you know, or yeah. yay, I'm doing twice as much damage now, but they have twice as much hit points. A lot of video games do this too, you know, like yes, the, very the much. enemies scale with you. 
It's like, uh, you know, like, oh, this wolf is now level 30 wolf and I'm level 30 and great. It's the exact same fight I had every other time before. Well, and interesting, <laughs> and interestingly enough, and I actually like this in this game. I don't know how many people out there played the new Diablo Immortal. I actually really like mm. it. This is a video game. So just adding this in for two seconds. But a lot of old video games, if I was level 30 and you were level 20, we couldn't really group together because you, or I mean, especially if you were level one and I was level 30, like there's no way, right? You just kill everything. But I noticed while playing with my son, and this is co-op, when you, when he's level 30 and I'm level 10 or whatever, his hit points look higher. He's like, oh my gosh, this has a lot of hit points. He says a number and I'm like, oh no, on my screen, it's only this many hit points. So it scales based on player. So my damage scales ah. as well. So... I think it's kind of cool in the fact that you could play between, you know, you can level up between players, even in the same fight and in the same area. You know, he just has more skill options than me, and his skills might be a little bit better than mine are. But the monster scales appropriately for him as well, even though if we're, we're in the same fight. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Although that's more scaling than leveling, I guess, right? Well, I guess it's balancing the levels. I, I do like games that have handicaps in general, and I think handicaps for leveling are cool. I mean, Gloomhaven, I think... It doesn't necessarily make you stronger if your level is low or weaker if your level is high, but the ability to like granularly modify the monsters, and you can even like have one monster be level two and another monster be level three. I I, I like that. I think that's a nice way to kind of give you control over how the kind of beasts, you know, match up with your strength level. Well, and they had your um, town leveling up too. So as new characters came in, you leveled to a certain point. And the leveling is slow enough in that game. And again, sometimes it's just like one more hit point and you're modifying mm -hmm. your deck a little bit, but like, it's not these overwhelming changes. You don't feel a million times more powerful at the end of Gloomhaven than you do at the beginning. It's one of my big problems with the game. Like you don't feel yeah. like you scale that well. And so because of that, and, and look, it probably is because of this whole, you know, you're going to have characters of different levels in there at the same time. So I think they did a good job, but I think they also have more of a flat leveling system. There's kind of two things there. It's like, how much stronger do you become in your leveling campaign? And how quick is the pace, right? For us, Gloomhaven is a little bit slow, but it makes sense with the crazy number of scenarios you're playing, even with retiring characters. Whereas, yes, I definitely prefer something that like kind of levels me up a little bit faster. I mean, heck, <laughs> one of my favorite type of games is a deck builder or a bag builder. And that's basically leveling up in hyperspeed, you know, in a yep. way. You know, here's a tenor for it's like, oh, your deck is six ones and six zeros at the beginning. And by the end, your deck is like five attack and these three special powers. And like, you know, every card is doing something cool. So I, I love faster leveling but i also like shorter campaigns so i think that's just my personal preference well and they go hand but in I, I, hand a lot of times yeah. too. I, I do want to say for gloomhaven though yes the pace is slow but like when you get a new skill in gloomhaven gloomhaven does a good job of making it feel awesome that i think is where i want leveling to go when possible like did you get any skills in vagrant song you were like yes that no. is the skill. <laughs> no, no they, they were like, you do one more damage. You know what I mean? Like, again, it, it's well, it wasn't that even that. It was like, you may have a little bit different range. And again, range wasn't even that interesting because it was yeah. like one to four instead of one to two or whatever. Like, it wasn't just like range is four. Right now I got like a super powerful attack. It does a million damage. Maybe I got to move and maneuver around a little bit better to use it. But it only has one single range and it's range four or whatever. They didn't play with that system a lot. They didn't make the skills nearly as cool as they could have, I feel like. Yeah, and I think... I mean, I'm also thinking of, like, Imperial Assault and Descent when you get to, like, your highest class skills. A, a lot of the, my favorite skills... Oathsworn has this, too. 
a lot of my favorite skills are a little bit more complicated because by the time you earn them, you know the game better and you can handle it. Right. It's not about like I do one more damage or I can attack from one more range. It's stuff like move four, crash into them, do five damage, push them into a boulder, you know, like cinematic, like exciting stuff. You know, you get that card and you're whooping and hollering (laughs) as you like think of the possibilities. You want to play the game right away again. Nothing I got in Vagrant Song or some of these other ones that have like more anemic uh, leveling systems made me be like, oh man, I can't wait to get that card into play. And I think Gloomhaven does have that to an extent. It's like, oh my gosh, I can I can do six damage and do this and that like the next time I play. So yeah, I think if your leveling system is too slowly paced or too weak in like kind of the ways you push the system and the abilities that you're that you gain, if if you play the game and level up and you don't think it'd be fun to try that out, I, I think you failed somewhere. I mean, heck, Diablo that you just brought up is a great example. It gets slow later, and I think Diablo gets a little bit weak later. Like, I'm thinking maybe uh, mainly two and three. Those are the ones I played the most. Like, in the really later levels, it'd be like, hey, this thing does slightly more damage now. This thing slows him down a little bit more. You know what I mean? But in the early levels, when each level, you're like, you can, now you can shoot out a laser beam. <laughs> now you can throw out a bob. Now you can leap into the middle of people and smash all of them to the side. Like, when you get new skills... That's the thing where I'm like, all right, I guess I'll play Diablo for another hour. I want to play around with that. You know what I mean? Well, and what they did in Diablo 3 to change that up a little bit, and I don't think I've seen a board game do this yet, is you're still doing like you jump up in the air and smash in the middle of them. But this time there's a lightning pulse that goes out also. Yeah, or yeah. this time I like that, it does a poison cloud or whatever. So you can not only select a certain skill, but then you can modify that skill too. You could just do the damage one or you could do whichever one fits your need in that situation, which I think is kind of neat. And a lot of times you wouldn't switch them out as, you know, as readily as all that, but you had the option to at least anyway. So I thought it was neat that even though the skill stayed the same, they modified it as you went along. Yeah, I know there's some games where like you upgrade your action cards. I still think that's kind of inherently usually not as interesting. But maybe it's more interesting than something like Vagrant Song where you get a skill you might never use. <laughs> well, and that's the part of it. Skill development and campaigns. To, to keep someone engaged in the campaign, you have to make them excited to play the next game. Whether that's story-driven or whether that's skill-driven. Like, hey, you just got a bunch of cool new stuff or you're about mm-hmm. to do something really cool and I can't wait to see what the next story beat's going to be. And I feel like a lot of these games don't get that right, especially the boss battlers, because boss battlers inherently are just moving from one boss to another, so nothing yeah. feels special. I think the, the that's probably the weakest part of the genre, and again, we're going off into a different discussion here, but I think it's the weakest part of the genre, whereas dungeon crawls, maybe you only get a boss battle every third fight, but you're doing cool stuff to get there potentially, and you have mm. other stuff going on. And then the boss fight, when you get to it, feels different. It feels more epic rather than just doing those boss fights over and over, which after a while, if everything's a boss fight, is anything a boss fight, right? <laughs> or are you just fighting the next thing? Sure. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But one of my favorite things about leveling, and we haven't talked about this yet, and, and I don't let me know if you like this or not. And it's in KDM, and it's in one of the games we're designing is potentially losing upgrades. 
And I guess there's a little bit of that in Vagrant Song, where if you have a wounded skill and you actually get all your skills wounded, you flip over and you put this westbound card. And by the way, there's no player elimination. We never mentioned that. Yeah. Until everybody dies. But basically, you put this westbound card and it gives you an action that you can do over one of your other actions. But at the end of the game, if you're still on your westbound side or your your damage side then you lose the skill under Mm -hmm. that permanently so there's a little bit of going backwards as well i actually like that i like that in kdm i like that in again for our game you know you get weapons that could potentially get destroyed and then you'll have to find a new weapon for the next battle right so you're not doing the same thing over and over it's not only could you get a cooler thing but you may even lose that one cool weapon that you had and now you have to come up with a whole new strategy around you know what you're given at that next moment. I like that personally. Do you like going backwards sometimes? I do, but it's kind of coupled with something that I like to see in leveling systems, especially for like bigger kind of campaign-based games, which is diversity in what you level up. So even though I think Gloomhaven sometimes has kind of a too slow of a pace, I do appreciate that in Gloomhaven you are leveling up your combat deck. You're also leveling up your action cards you're also leveling up your inventory, you know? So they tend to give you at least one of those things after every scenario. And the combination of like how you're changing and how you're growing is kind of cool. In the game you're talking about, Peter, our design, we do that quite a bit. Like you're leveling up your base and you're leveling up yourselves in multiple ways, like kind of skill cards and items and other things. That's sort of my preference. I think it's more like dynamic and exciting and gives you like different types of things to look forward to. And it does harken back to those classic RPGs like D&D where your class levels up, you know, I guess looking at 5th edition right now, the the most recent one, your your class levels up, your attributes level up every once in a while, your um, your skills level up, your items level up, you unlock new abilities, old abilities get better, you get more uses of them. So there's like a lot of like kind of branching fun stuff going on. Or like Diablo, you've got inventory, you've got specializations, you've got like the actual skills being unlocked. So if you have that, then yes, I don't mind going backward as long as like some stuff stays up. Uh, KDM. KDM's the same way though, right? You could lose a fighter that got super buffed up and you put a lot of stuff into. But honestly, the next fighter that comes along is going to be pretty good also. And they get to keep all the gear. So Yes, exactly. That's the big thing I was going to say. For KDM, it's because of the gear. It's because of the settlement. And also, like, the fighting arts and stuff. Like, you can teach them to other people more easily. So, yeah, I think KDM does do it well. Another one, this is a video game example, but uh, the XCOM series, it was always, like, such a blow when you would lose one of your people. But now you have the ability to make, like, the better laser cannons. And now you have the ability to make better armor. So the technological upgrades move forward. Yeah, I guess that goes into, like, how it's fun to have a settlement in a campaign game or a base or something leveling up along with you so that your heroes are just one piece of the puzzle. And that does give some kind of permanence to your growth if you have a a lost state or, like, you can actually have people get killed or whatever. Yeah, that covers everything I wanted to talk about. Do you have anything in addition to it? No, no, that that was me too. Yeah, I mean, just try not to keep it boring. (laughs) You know, trying to make your gameplay boring, trying to make your leveling boring. And I guess there are different people that like leveling at different paces. This is obviously our opinions. This is where we're coming from. I mean, one of the first games we made, like you leveled up from nothing to like a superhero by the end of it. And people are like, what's the time frame on this? We're like, I don't know, a week? But like it was based on Conan movies and stuff like that, right? Where that just happened, right? Nobody picked up a sword before. And then they trained everybody in like a couple of days. And then they're like hey, a superhero. To, to be fair... 
Conan pushed that little rolling around thing, at least in the Arnold Schwarzenegger version. Well, yes, uh, since for he was years a yes. until he got giant and could kill everybody. He he didn't just become a master sword fighter in one day, man. <laughs> yes, well, it was all in a five minute montage. So, well, that's true. Yes. <laughs> he figured out the riddle of steel in about two minutes of uh, film time. <laughs> yes, exactly right. So for us, we do like faster leveling systems. I know that's not going to be the way everybody likes. It depends. I guess the more complicated your system is, the longer I want to sit with what I have. And I don't want to introduce a lot of stuff all at once. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of the games I like that are more straightforward, your actions are more straightforward. The complexity comes with the interaction between actions. I'd rather have more smaller systems that like lead up to something pretty cool. And I learn it slowly over time, like I'm getting it introduced to me over time, rather than like every card doing like 50 things. And yes, you get a cool new card every 27 missions, but I I like small, incremental, fast changes, like you're getting a bunch of them over time. Yeah, and then the the biggest two pieces of advice I would leave uh, any designers out there with before we finish is, if I finish a scenario, and the stuff I get at the end of that scenario does not give me any excitement to play the next one... That's a missed opportunity. Yep. And then in a different way is the thing I wanted to say. It was a great point. I totally remember it. I'm just vamping here for, for other reasons. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll have Brian's uh, statement real quick because it has to do with my favorite movie ever. He says, Wesley trained under the dread pirate Roberts. That's right. He went from a farm boy, a civil farm boy to the Dread Pirate Roberts himself. So, uh, yes, Princess Bride, if you haven't seen it, go see it now. Go see it three times. Podcast is over. We're giving you your time back for that. Yeah, I can't remember the last point I was going to make. Dang it. Brian says the uh, best loving he's seen so far is in the Ghost Betwix. Oh, yeah. The Ghost Betwix does have a good system. I mean, you're, you're unlocking skills. You're getting new items. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, like that kind of mix of systems that I think is the best way to do it for, like, a big campaign game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know Sorry, how... I'm still trying to remember what I was going to say, and I still can't remember it. That's all right. I'm sure it was brilliant, and you'll have to stay tuned for next week's episode to find out what Mike was thinking. Watch as we play. The minute the video goes off, Mike remembers his brilliant point. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, anyway, thanks, everybody. This is a great podcast. <laughs> thanks for the people who are uh, on the streaming channel watching. We really appreciate having you here. Absolutely. And if you want to see our lovely faces, go to One Stop Co-op Shop Stream. That's the best place to watch it. And we're the only place to watch it, really. So clearly the best place to watch it. <laughs> the best place to watch it is the only location that the video exists. That's that right. Is the best place. That's right. And you get it a week early this time. So this podcast episode won't come out until next Sunday. So you get a little right. sneak preview and you get to see our goofs and blunders. And it's usually about 15 to 20 minutes longer. So there's that as well. So we cut out a bunch of the stuff for the podcast. So uh, that's, that's all in there for the streaming channel. Unless Mike starts cursing. And then I'm going to cut him out. Yeah, I think I did okay this time unless I uh, forgot about it. No, you didn't. You didn't. It was awesome. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. And we will see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. Beep, 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 beep.
What was that? I was cursing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, is there like some robot movie that I'm supposed to be like referencing or understanding? Bleep, okay. bleep, bleep, bleep. Level bleep. Bye, everybody.